Welcome everyone to NGW's In a Nutshell podcast, which takes stock of the most important developments shaping the global natural gas industry. It is great to be joined once more by Anne-Sophie Cobo, a global research scholar at the Center on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University's School of International and Public Affairs, and Thierry Bros energy expert and professor at Sciences Po Paris. So uh, this is the first time we've uh, come together since COP28. So I think a good place to start would be asking your reflections on this summit. Um, let me start with you, Thierry. Yes. Uh, thank you. I think uh, last time we had this podcast, we uh, call it much uh, ado about nothing. And I think we were right on more than one level. First of all, I don't think nothing much uh, happened. But I, I really think uh, this uh, is also a theater play. I mean, we seem to have uh, people, I, I, I'm talking about theater, not to be rude and, talk, and talking about the circus, but we, are, we have people going from cop to cop. Uh, trying to put some languages and the language doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to mm. give you one example that I think is uh, really strange here. Uh, the COP pledge, uh, and, and I read them, says uh, we want to limit warming to 1.5%. The world will require three times more renewable energy capacity by 2030 and uh, must uh, double the global average uh, annual rate of energy efficiency improvement from 2 to uh, 4% every year until 2030, uh, which mm -hmm. means that for some kind of strange thing happening, on the 1st of January 2024, we had some new uh, technology that's able to uh, provide more energy efficiency. First of all, let us remind us that energy efficiency hasn't been 2% per annum in the last 10 years. It's been more than 1.5% per annum. And so uh, it is very unlikely we are going to do this. And all the scenario of the uh, COP28 and the IEA net zero scenario is based on this, the fact that uh, if you manage to massively increase energy efficiency, primary energy consumption uh, isn't, doesn't need to grow. And so you solve the problem uh, when just having more renewable. Unfortunately, I think what we are uh, facing is more and more um, oil, more and more gas, and more and more coal uh, demand and production going forward. So uh, really, for I think we were right in uh, stating that this was not going to be a big uh, element, but perhaps another, another point here would be it's a circus, and unfortunately, it should continue. Mm -hmm. And Sophie? Yeah, I am probably going to be for once a little bit less blunt uh, than Thierry. Uh, I think there were a couple of messages which were slightly different from the previous ones and also from what was expected uh, given who, you know, the president of the COP was. I mean, we had, you know, the world transitioning away from fossil fuels. Uh, okay, in absolute terms, you know, it doesn't mean that much, but it's still some sort of a signal which, you know, uh, was particularly complicated to agree upon between the different participants. There is something that we have already underlined, which is really the fact that, you know, there are two worlds uh, which are meeting at COP. There is a developed world and, uh, you know, countries which have a particularly high energy demand per capita, as uh, Thierry, you know, was mentioning, demand is very important and energy efficiency is very important. And those uh, who have, you know, very low 
energy demand per capita and you know in the name of a just transition where they want to be able to continue to grow and when these two worlds basically meet you know you meet you need to be able to make compromises so i think you know this statement was very much an affair of compromising um they were maybe not really at COP, but around COP, you know, some announcement on methane emissions, which are particularly important. Uh, just before COP started, we had, you know, the announcement, of course, well-expected announcement on the EU side. There were also some announcements on the US side. So I think, you know, given the importance of methane emission, not only for this industry, but in general, because of their impact on climate change, this is particularly important that we are seeing making progress in that direction, even if these are baby steps. But I do hope that, you know, uh, it's really clear for everybody that this is an absolute a critical issue. On um, tripling renewable energy, I think it's a no-brainer. There is also, I mean, nuclear coming back. You know, I think uh, that's also important to highlight, even if when you are looking at the big announcement, you know, you are seeing uh, Mr. Macron, for example, I saw some announcements that were, you know, in the news with the Belgian minister. So basically, we are showing uh, two policymakers, uh, two politicians who have actually managed during their mandates to decommission a couple of nuclear power plants. But, you know, this is not the important part of the story. The important part of the story is that a certain number of countries are looking at nuclear and that I have to say thanks to Mrs. Agnès Pannier-Runacher, who unfortunately is no longer a minister in France, who have managed to build in Europe an alliance on nuclear, which I hope is going to be fruitful because I think, well, and I am being French here, nuclear is part of the solution. Sorry. Uh, perhaps I, I can add one element here. I, I fully agree with with uh, with Anso, uh, uh, analysis. What what I was questioning more is uh, the wording versus how things are, are going. Yes, on methane emission, you're absolutely right, and it should be a no-brainer. I mean, it should have been done many many years ago, and the industry is a bit uh, uh, liable here. Let's let's also use the, the right words. Uh, the industry should operate with uh, virtually no methane emission and virtually no flaring, and that's not what we have in the data. Uh, on the uh, nuclear, yes, I mean, uh, they were talking about this multiplying by three by whatever date is, uh, but again, uh, France did sign this but doesn't want to multiply itself by three, its nuclear capacity, first of all. And secondly, uh, news flow um, this week uh, again shows that nuclear is going to be uh, late delayed more costly as we've seen in the uk example and so i think um we we've wasted time in in building stuff whatever it is be it uh, renewable be it nuclear be it uh, gas and now we are entering a world where interest rates are higher where the uh, uh, price of everything has gone up and so it's going to be more difficult and unfortunately as i was alluding uh, remember that uh, prior to the cop just a few days before the cop the um, Indian coal minister uh, increased the target for producing coal in his own country, uh, increased it to 60% uh, from now to 2030. And India is the number two coal producer. So I think that if you're in a world where you have a constraint, uh, where the magic model, the magic math doesn't provide the outcome, the um, least uh, costly option uh, and the uh, least uh, uh, delayed option is going to unfortunately be in coal. And I 
still have a dystopian scenario where we see a core rebound. We, we shall see whether the 2023 data are in core consumption, but I, uh, I'm worried it's going to go up in a big way, and I'm worried it's mm. going to continue to go up. Okay. Um, when you were looking forward, both of you, when you were looking forward to uh, COP28, um, what what were the key announcements or agreements you were hoping for, which did not materialize? Uh, and Sophie? Um, I was hoping for um, maybe clearer commitments on coal, just to say something, you know, a little bit different compared to Thierry, but, you know, I mean, uh, we recognize that in terms of you know pure CO2 emissions, coal is a fuel which is emitting the most. Then if you are comparing with natural gas, it really depends on where methane emission is. Uh, mm. and, and that's particularly the case when you're looking at countries like China, which I mean, you know, the coal market, half of the coal market is China, so particularly important. Um, I think um, methane emissions may be something a little bit more firm because I fully agree with uh, Thierry. I mean, this is something that we have been talking about for at least eight years, if my memory is correct. I mean, really, it has been front and center for quite a few years. And, you know, we should be at very, very, very low emissions. And we should have, I mean, now there is no way to hide because of the satellites and all the ways to measure accurately methane emissions. But we should have done much better already. Um, something else which is particularly important and was definitely discussed, but I don't think we have really managed to find a solution. I mean, this is a whole part about financing the energy transition in uh, developing countries, because indeed we are in a world with higher interest rates. And this is in particular penalizing uh, developing countries because this is making their projects much more expensive. And if you are talking with African stakeholders, they are going to tell you, I mean, my project is pretty good, but you know, I have all these people, the financiers, etc., who are telling me, I mean, your project is not financeable and, and, and they do not understand. Yes, Africa is a little bit different, but however, you know, you should have people who are willing to take risks there. And, and that's absolutely crucial. And by the way, Africa is more I mean, it's very diverse, you know, we, we say Africa, and in fact, it's more than 50 countries, and every single country is unique and has its own challenges and its own resources, very different. I mean, you cannot, you know, compare even though they are not that far away from each other, Congo and Nigeria, for example, totally different countries in terms of resources. But I, I think, you know, the finance issue uh, is absolutely crucial uh, to make sure that part of the world is actually able to improve its energy situation in terms of energy access, in terms of, you know, the quality of energy, like the access to clean cooking and other things. And also doesn't have the impression that it's really trailing behind. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, uh, for me, I wasn't expecting much, so it turns out to be <laughs> what I was expecting. No. I agree with what Anso stated. I think for me, if we were really serious about it, 
I mean, Germany should have come and said, I'm closing down my coal fire power plant. Until we haven't seen this, I don't believe it. I mean, the, the, uh, uh, the people that, I, that have given us a lecture on green, which are the Germans for the last 20 years, are still operating extremely um, dirty uh, coal uh, firepower uh, generation. I mean, the electricity generation in Germany is uh, sometimes worse than in other uh, uh, third world or south or global south countries. So. I mean, uh, uh, for me, the, the, the system is Germany. And I think Germany is a very interesting element because uh, can Germany do this? Uh, we, we, will, we will address also the social unrest in Germany, etc. At the end of the day, uh, either you say what you do or uh, you just continue the circus. Uh, well, it okay, seems that so... in Germany, gas, gas fire plants are coming back. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I was discussing that with my colleagues. So, first of all, I mean, I think Germany eventually will close down its coal fire plants. The key question is, of course, by when and are you going to stick to that commitment? Uh, Germany is still, you know, the, the, the largest coal fire generators in Europe. But the good news is that, I mean, we have observed, including, you know, in Germany, a pretty massive decline of coal fire generation in 2023. So when you are looking, and, and we just published something on that, when you are looking at the EU power generation data at transmission level, I mean, we have seen an increase in pretty much everything which is clean, which is totally different from what happened in 2022. So hydro and nuclear, we covered. Nuclear a little bit because, of course, the Germans closed their nuclear power plants and you had also some decommission in Belgium. But, you know, French nuclear, we covered. Hydro, and we are all happy about it, we covered. That's really good. And then you had a further increase of, of solar and also of wind. So this was uh, able to drive um, a decline in gas and coal fire generation, coal much more than gas actually. But there was also something particularly interesting, which is that uh, total generation actually dropped at an EU level by about 2.3%, which in my opinion is coming from two things. The first one is that, I mean, people or industries are consuming less. And the second thing is that I think there is also something which are, is happening behind the meter because the data that we are collecting are NSOE data. So they are not collecting, you know, uh, solar panels, everything which is not automatically attached to the grid. Or they do not really see what is happening, you know, uh, behind the consumer uh, at, at their home. So there are some interesting trends happening there. Uh, but yeah, to, to go back to the question, I mean, Germany, well, I, I still do not understand why they closed the nuclear power plant, except that this is in the DNA of the Greens. But um, now they are looking at uh, installing new gas power plants. And, and this is exactly what Mr. Scholz, I still have, you know, the picture and the quote, was saying in 2021, in October 2021, you know, when you are exiting from somewhere, so coal and nuclear, you need to enter mm. somewhere else, gas. Well, two years and a half after that, we are back to gas. Great. Oh, yeah, because they figured out that hydrogen was probably a little bit too optimistic. Um, as, as we're on the subject of uh, Germany, uh, so December, uh, long-term gas deal uh, signed by Germany and Norway, uh, signed between Equinor, the uh, Norwegian state's uh, gas producer, and uh, SEFE, uh, which uh, essentially amounts to the... Uh, former uh, German assets of Gazprom. Um, uh, do you feel that that was a positive move by Germany to, to lock in a long-term gas deal? 
Um, I believe it's uh, 10, 10 BCM per, per year, um, over 10 years. I, I might be wrong. Um, it feels like uh, Germany has, after some time, um, just committed to, to a long-term gas deal. Uh, and obviously, they're advancing, expanding their uh, LNG capacity, but it, it feels like this is kind of a recognition that uh, they really need a lot of gas for quite a long time at affordable prices with stable supply. That's my kind of view. Um, Thierry, what do you think? Well, I mean, when you're hit by reality, uh, you have to take reality into the spreadsheet unless uh, you uh, you want to continue your uh, degrowth and deindustrialization and uh, um, and um, make more and more people redundant in your country. That's I think is basically what's happening. It's happening not only there; it's also happening with some industries contracting directly uh, for LNG because they understand that. Uh, the uh, utilities haven't done this. I mean, the, the utilities, because the utilities uh, in Germany, but in other places, are uh, still uh, or willing to please the uh, uh, kings, the uh, presidents or the commissioners, whatever you call them, uh, they, they don't want to contract. And at the end of the day, we've seen this in 2022 and in 2023, Europe is uh, becoming a premium energy market. So the question is, do we want to continue to pay LNG at an extreme premium level, or are we going to understand what we want as an energy mix? And again, um, it can be coal, and it, maybe it's going to be coal for, for a few more years in Germany. Uh, I agree with what Anne-Sophie stated about uh, 2023 power generation, but I think it's more market mechanism than anything else. Um, and so the question is, how much energy do you need? How do you want to uh, get this? And if 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 in the, if you believe like it's uh, the Commission in in Brussels believe that uh, energy electricity are luxury good, at the end of the day, uh, you're not you're going to completely deindustrialize your thing, and you may not need those contracts any longer. But if you believe that mm -hmm. people needs to be heated, uh, farmers needs uh, to have. Uh, uh, petrol in their uh, in their in their tanks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, then reality comes back in, and reality is uh, making a comeback in Europe um, a few uh, months before some elections that are going to be um, very uh, stressed, I would say, for the European uh, um, institutions. Well, we'll come to we'll come back to the elections. Uh, soon. Uh, and Sophie, uh, anything to add on that point? I mean, Germany was importing 50 BCM roughly of uh, Russian gas by pipeline just two years and a half ago. So, you know, you need to replace that. Now you have, you know, several options, either you are counting on uh, the spot market or you want to have some deals. And I think uh, the deal with Equinor was still kind of in line with the net zero commitment. So it's a short term deal. It's not a 20 year deal, which uh, have been signed by other companies. And of course, you know, uh, it's important because when you are signing a pipeline deal, you are stuck with it. It's not like you are going to be able to redirect the LNG somewhere else, which you know would be possible with uh, the LNG contracts that Thierry has mentioned. So, you know, they are looking for alternatives. And guess what? I mean, Norway, has been a very reliable supplier to Europe. So, you know, um, 
Norwegians are quite also keen to see that there is some commitment coming from their big market because we are their big market. So I think you know this kind of relationship is going in the right direction. And if anything, you know, at, I mean, Equinor is one of the leaders in terms of having very low methane emissions. So you know that should at least please the grid. You know this is relatively clean gas which is coming to the market. But at the end of the day. Um, you need to be able to to feed your consumers, and even if German's gas demand has been declining, it was the largest gas market in Europe. So you need to take that into account. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we are in a year of elections. Um, there's going potentially going to be a UK election, uh, US election, and European elections. Uh, there's also going to be an election, presidential election in Russia, but I'm not sure that is going to move the dial much. Um, <laughs> let's start with uh, Europe first. Um, what's at stake in the elections in Europe this year? Um, Many things. Uh, a lot of uncertainty, I will start with. Uh, you know, I mean, so the last elections were in 2019. Since then, we went through two years of COVID and two years of war. Uh, people have been experiencing so all the uncertainties with you know, the COVID, etc. The fact that at our borders, you know, there is a war happening, which has a you know, direct impact because you know, uh, we, are, we, we are helping uh, Ukraine, now we are engaged in uh, accession of Ukraine into the EU. Um, People have been fleeing Ukraine and have arrived to Europe, etc., etc. But there is a war, which is not something that we have seen in decades. Uh, so that's something to take into account. And inflation uh, has been particularly acute in every single country, whether you're looking at food or whether you are looking at energy. Well, of course, not every single country is having the same kind of patterns in terms of energy prices, but it has been a shock for many people. And now we are going to vote for people who are kind of remote because I don't know, well, when you were still, you know, part of the EU, uh, how often you were seeing MEPs. I mean, you know, our, our, our representatives, you can see them. The MEPs, they are a bit invisible in Brussels or in Strasbourg and you don't actually know who they are and what the hell they are doing. And Brussels, at least in France, is always a kind of word that you are using to describe some sort of policies and technocratic decision which is coming from nowhere and you do not really understand. And at least I am talking here on behalf of you know the kind of average population who is not following what is happening. Mm -hmm. So for example, my parents, my in-laws, my sister-in-law, I mean, these people who are not following that. And frankly, I have no idea what is going to happen, but I can see a lot of discontent and uh, maybe this afternoon in Paris we are going to be surrounded by unhappy farmers because it was announced that they will be booking all the highways and we are seeing the farmers that's you know that's the first thing in the in the elections we're seeing the farmers unhappy in Romania they have been unhappy also for quite a long time in the Netherlands they are unhappy in Germany and they are striking and they are blocking votes and that's an interesting move. So I don't know exactly how this is going to end up. But what I know for sure is that 
all our politicians and our polling institutions are pretty badly equipped to actually foresee how the European Parliament is going to end up. So we might have surprises. And I hope this is not going to be the surprise that we saw in the French parliamentary elections a year and a half ago, because we had a big surprise that nobody had anticipated. What was that surprise? Just uh, to those 90, with, uh, 90 representatives of the Rassemblement National, but a week before, so a, a few weeks, you know, the, the, our elections are in two rounds for uh, the representatives. So at the beginning of the first round, people were saying, oh, maybe 20 maximum. And at just a week before the second round, the, the estimates were 20 to 50 um, representatives. And we ended up with 90, which is a big change or a big gap between the forecasts and the reality. OK, uh, Thierry. Um... Yeah. I don't know. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Your thoughts, please. Um, are we going to see uh, a wave of uh, politicians that are more pragmatic be elected, or is that just uh, wishful thinking? Well, well, perhaps let me uh, comment on on first the answer fee element. I mean, on. Uh, on, on on the inflation, I I, I fully agree, but. Uh, I think we were also uh, misleaded by our own politicians, be there in Brussels or in our own countries. I mean, uh, remember when we started going from the uh, Green Deal, everybody was going to was telling us it was going to be uh, something that's not only needed, which I would fully agree with, uh, but it's something that was going to create uh, um, growth, economical growth, and something that was going to be virtually cheap. I mean, we were going to have uh, wind and solar forever at uh, zero cost, uh, we were going to uh, have all those elements. Um, no, it's wrong. And uh, nowadays people are discovering this. And perhaps I'd like to link uh, what uh, Anne-Sophie stated with the farmer. I believe that this commission uh, came with two uh, dogmatic paper. One was the Green Deal, and we've discussed this uh, at length in those uh, podcasts. But the other one was the farm to fork. And, and I believe those two um, our directive are the same uh, coin, are two, the two faces of the same coin. Uh, they were drafted by uh, people that have uh, basically a hidden degrowth agenda. And so the idea was we are not going to say to the people it's going to cost them more. We are not going to say to the people you can't eat uh, uh, cows. We are not going to say to people you can't have a uh, uh, coal firepower plant, but we will make sure that on the supply side, we will constrain the supply one way or another. At the end of the day, if you constrain the supply, price goes up, you create inflation, and uh, you create unhappy people at the end of the day. Um, I, mm. I, I also have to stress, uh, Anne-Sophie is right, I mean, the people don't really understand how Brussels works, but at the end of the day, directive have uh, are pre-approved by council, by member states. So at the end of the day, we're always hearing on our TV, wherever we are in the 27 uh, member states, it's Brussels fault, but it's not Brussels fault. I mean, it's, it's Brussels fault with the approval of the member states and member states have a veto, just ask Orban, he knows how to use it. So, I mean, member states can uh, say no to any kind of, of uh, directive if they think it's uh, against uh, their sovereignty. And so what happened under Ostalman Leyen was we had um, a dogmatic uh, 
commissioner, in particular uh, Timmermans, uh, that came out with all those ideas that were not scientifically related, one of them being uh, the uh, hydrogen strategy that was completely uh, fake, let's put it this way. Uh, and now people are understanding that not only have we missed uh, three years, but we've lost a few billions of euros in budget, in subsidies, and in all those elements. And so the, the debt has increased, and, and we know this in France also, by, by the way, and the problem is still there. So what we are facing is a much tougher problem, much more urgent, with much less money to solve it. Uh, and uh, this is going to make uh, people unhappy. I think Brussels should be uh, very uh, worried that uh, uh, what, what if the farmers were going towards Brussels, not towards Paris, but I think uh, that uh, is, uh, could be a, a real risk for, for the institution. Um, how is this going to be solved? I mean, um, again, uh, for a, a, an average voter, Brussels is far away, so I can uh, carry my uh, discontent. I can vote in uh, stating that I have, I'm, I'm discontent. Um, unfortunately, this operates both ways. Um, uh, if we go back to the old parliament of the one in right now in, in Brussels, it has been very green, and this is the green that are making the majority and they've uh, tried to push way far too much i believe the uh, green agenda again on the green uh, on the green deal and on the farm to fork um, they are going to be completely erased from the parliament that's mostly for sure uh, then the question which Anne sophie was alluding is how are we go what are they going to be replaced with are we going to replace it with the uh, the usual uh, candidates that we have in, uh, in uh, at the European level, uh, a bit of a left, a bit of, of a right, or are they going to be replaced by a uh, deep dark blue? Um, and I, I believe that at the end of the day, um, what could happen in a parliament where you remove the, uh, the green and you replace it with a deep dark blue is that at the end of the day, the parliament is unable to achieve any kind of new regulation except perhaps on uh, uh, migration, but except this, i.e. all the usual Brussels topics uh, that you see are going to be put on the back burner. So I, I, I really see, see that uh, we, we've, we've ended the cycle. The cycle is mm -hmm. ending now in those few uh, weeks. Um, we, will, we shall see how this uh, is going to be uh, uh, reversed or stopped, but I don't think I don't see this being uh, further engaged at the uh, EU and uh, Commission level because voters don't want this any longer. I mean, um, voters have realized that uh, the energy transition is every 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 day we are hearing how much is going to cost. Uh, I think last time it was 500 billion uh, euros for transiting uh, for uh, for electric lines. Uh, it's your gas fire power plant, it's uh, uh, your nuclear uh, plants which are costing a fortune, etc, 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 at a time where, as I'm saying, money is short and uh, time is short. Okay. And Sophie, anything to add? 
No, I, 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 I kind of agree, especially on the, the money, because, I mean, you know, I think um, many countries have a budget issue. I mean, uh, we just discovered in France that apparently there is about 8 billion missing from 2023. And, you know, the question uh, related to the answer to the fair farmers, you know, uh, worries, because, I mean, you know, problem number one for most farmers in Europe, besides, you know, their struggle with process is not making enough money. And I am wondering, how how the government can answer that kind of questions and and basically how the government can answer any kind of okay we need to invest more uh, in energy transition etc but also people well-being with even less money because we have been spending a hell lot of money over the past uh, two years in order to help uh, consumers of any kind but now the deficits have increased quite substantially so how are we going to do that and also, I am just wondering, because you know, the elections being in June, we should have started to see uh, some candidates, you know, talking to people. Who is going to have the courage, um, besides our prime minister and a few other people, to go down the road and actually talk to the discontent people and try to understand, you know, really what the problem is and try to convince them about the policies that they want to pursue. But I'm not sure that this is going to happen because, hey, they probably will never see these people again. I want to run this past both of you. Um, uh, because there's a, a bigger distance between the, the voter and uh, European elections versus the voter and uh, national elections, um, do you think uh, voters tend to vote more idealistically? when it comes to European uh, elections versus national elections. Is that why um, we've we've ended up with a more kind of, well, as Thierry said, uh, uh, a more dogmatic uh, energy policy? Um, maybe, you, and Sophie, maybe you agree or disagree with that, but um, what, what, what do you think? You what a lot of friends in France and in the UK have told me. They are disappointed in uh, their politicians. They find that there is, in general, very low quality. And therefore, they tend either not to vote or to vote for other people because they are fed up with what has been proposed for the past few years, which is decreasing and decreasing quality. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, just people around me I have known for many years telling me that. I, 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 can, I cannot, you know, just take myself as an example for the whole French and British population, obviously. No, I, I think I, I agree again with Anne-Sophie, but I think if, if this is the mood, and I agree with the mood, then uh, people will tend to find governments that are uh, powerless. Uh, so what you want is people with no power, because when they when they use the power, they misuse it. Uh, so this is mm. what we have in France with 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 a split parliament, and I, and I fear this is going to what's happening in Europe, where again, if you remove the green and you put more dark blue, uh, you have uh, something that is never going to find any consensus, and people at the end of the day may find themselves better off because at the end of the day, you don't have new rules, new regulation that sometimes are completely incoherent, again, go back to the, to the Green Deal. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's also time 
for uh, the press and the politician uh, to call on the one that have made the wrong call. I mean, it's 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 always strikes me when they're always telling me, oh, we've we've uh, we've done this properly. No, I mean, if you have the farmer on the street, it means that uh, either you have the consumers very happy, and the consumers will say, fine, I have loads of very good food, very cheap, I'm very happy, I revote re to for for those people, and let's uh, forget the farmer, or because you have the farmer problem, but you also have the food problem, which is the inflation, etc., that uh, Anne-Sophie was alluding, then you've alienated all your, your society. And so as a voter, you may say, well, I'm going to vote in a very, uh, in, in a very specific way, which will not allow any kind of majority. And we've seen this in France, but we've seen this in, uh, in Belgium, we've seen this right now in the Netherlands, because at the end of the day, if they can't use the power, they can't misuse it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, this is a little bit what's happening ahead. in Germany right now with that, uh, you know, traffic light government, which, I mean, you have three parties which don't really seem to agree on yeah. anything and on the major themes like transport, for example, they are in total disagreement with one minister saying something and the other one saying something totally different. So, yeah, best example of nothing is moving forward. Okay, I'd like but, to. But, but, Sorry, but, go ahead. Yeah, but best, best, best. The question is, if nothing moves ahead, are people better off or worse off than if, if things are moving in the wrong direction? Well, I think I remember the Belgian government, for example, or having no Belgian government for I can't remember how many days, but I remember it was a particularly long period. Hey, the country didn't time. collapse. No, and I think people were probably believed to be off. You know, no politician. I mean, can you imagine? You know, Joe, uh, no politician at all during one year. Oh, great, just vacation. And 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 if you have a debt problem, if you'd have no politician able to sign checks, your debt isn't going to increase. Very simple. Yeah, they won't make any commitments and spending more. Exactly. So and and I, and I really think that. What the voters will strategically do, as uh, we are saying, they've done it in most countries. I mean, if, 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 I, if I look at Europe, the only government that has been re-elected with majority is, I think, the, the Greek government. But uh, all the rest, I mean, it's going to be more and more difficult because, as Anne-Sophie stated, the uh, politicians' uh, knowledge and ability to govern is uh, questioned more and more by the people. So fewer political decisions. Are needed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's finish by uh, zooming out a bit. Um, U.S. elections, U.K. elections, U.K. elections. Um, so uh, the opposition uh, Labour Party want to, um, at least right now, they are saying that they want to uh, stop. Uh, the issuing of new licenses for oil and gas exploration. Uh, they also want to adjust the windfall tax to reduce the uh, investment deductions from that tax. Um, in the US, um, Biden seems to be under pressure to make it, let's say, harder, to put it simply, harder for new LNG projects to, to go forward. And I, I think it, in general, I think it's clear that there's going to be a big divide between uh, uh, 
Biden's policy on regulation of oil and gas industry versus potentially uh, Trump's uh, policy if 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 he proves to be the winner. Um, any thoughts on those two elections, guys? I have no uh, idea about the UK, so let me do the US because this is where I am <laughs> feeling more comfortable. Sure. Uh, on on the decision on the US LNG plan, so which has actually been taken. So you know, right now there is, you know, we have pressed the pause button on any additional uh well LNG plant, or at least, you know, uh the Department of Energy uh giving, you know, um additional permitting in terms of non-FTA countries, which is what uh LNG exporters are interested in. Uh, it's important to remember that uh, we have a little bit more than 100 billion cubic meters of energy capacity in the US, which is currently under construction and which is going to arrive anywhere between the end of this year and 2028. So it's not like nothing is happening. And we have a massive amount of additional energy capacity which is under construction in the world and everybody seems to be thinking from the supply side but i think we should also be thinking on the demand side where this energy is going but to go back to the us i mean i think you know between biden and trump um, as we have observed between you know the period of the trump presidency and the period of the biden presidency i mean they are totally and widely apart on most energy themes I think maybe with a couple of exceptions, which are a little bit more bipartisan, I would tend to think that um, Trump would probably support, or at least the Republicans would probably support nuclear, mm -hmm. and probably definitely the US as well. Uh, for uh, the wind and solar, they are not particularly loved, but that doesn't mean that a certain number of red states, which have, you know, relatively substantial uh, wind and solar uh, potential, like Texas, for example, to quote one, you know, could not move forward with developing uh, those resources because, hey, you know, they, they, they are worth developing. So, Definitely, I mean, if, you know, uh, Trump comes back, I would expect a little bit more drill, baby drill, um, to be back to on top of the agenda. My fear is that uh, that would also be tied with don't care about methane emissions at all. And that would be, uh, I mean, I, I, I focus quite a lot on methane emissions these days. That would be an absolute disaster. Mm -hmm. Thierry? Well, on on the UK side, it seems to me that um, the Labour um, agreed that the latest development Rosebank uh, that uh, went uh, on uh, will be pursued. So again, I think there is a bit of a difference between what everybody scream in front of an election and how things turn uh, up. And this is why mm -hmm. where, where people are are are, are pissed off uh, because. Uh, you, you seems to uh, uh, policymakers seems to uh, want to please the five extreme percent of their own party, and when they come into power, they they have to take into account the reality. And so I, I, I really think that it do, it doesn't help for the democratic process at all. First of all, um, what are they going to do? I mean, the uh, uh, if if the UK stop its own development. Uh, uh, if on the US you stop uh, extra LNG, well, uh, uh, you'll need LNG from Qatar. <laughs> it's 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 uh, it's uh, quite obvious to balance the uh, the gas uh, demand in in the in the UK. Um, 
on in in the US again, I, I really think um, we we have um, the the US is governed also by um, extreme on both sides. Again, um, um, let's go back to Obama. Obama seems to be a, a, a decent guy, decent president. That thought well, there is too much gas in my country. Uh, uh, some countries may need it. It may also help. Uh, the um, coal to gas switch, and it, by the way, what Obama did uh, by uh, approving those uh, LNG liquefaction terminal was help Europe to be able to uh, uh, fight directly or indirectly the proxy war vis-à-vis uh, -vis Russia. So, uh, do, doing the stop and go thing just for pleasure of the uh, um, again a few percentage of your electorate. Um, is tiring for all the rest of the people, I think. At, at the end of the day, what the US people want is cheap gas, they have it. What they don't want is uh, gas uh, in, in the US that goes up through the roof. It's unlikely uh, it will uh, get, even if you uh, produce uh, more liquefaction plant. Uh, and at the end of the day, on an industrial level, I mean, if you make sure that the US is the uh, major exporter, you also make sure that the US uh, gets uh, a spread, a positive spread in terms of gas prices versus the one where this gas is exported, be it Asia and Europe. And so therefore, US has an economical advantage. Uh, and, and, and I think it's very simple. But as Anne-Sophie stated, if you go with a, a extreme statement, at the end of the day, what the industry will not do is do uh, the uh, boring and absolutely needed stuff of uh, making sure there are no methane emission and making sure there is no flaring. And uh, people will just say, well, we'll, uh, we'll see how things turn up. And uh, when it turns up this way, it will be uh, drill, uh, baby drill. And when it turns out the other way, we will do something different. But we don't solve the problem of the piping uh, and, the, and the methane emission problem. Okay, going to be an interesting year. Um, okay, I I want to thank you both for for attending as always, and um, to everyone uh, listening or viewing. Uh, this has been uh, NGW's in a nutshell podcast, which takes stock of the most important developments shaping the global gas industry. And see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.